0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, Kate and I are tackling the big issue, trading versus investing. Kate and I talk about the different types of traders and what it means to be a trader versus what it means to be an investor. We've drawn some recent studies and we dig into some of the latest announcements from the Australian Finance Regulator, who is a little bit concerned about all of the advertising and the trading strategies that are being marketed to consumers and investors just like us. This is a pretty passionate episode, and I get pretty wound up about this type of thing, so you'll have to forgive me if I come across quite opinionated, uh, but Kate kind of calms me down and brings some sense to the conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. How are you going?
1: Good, thanks, Owen. Good to be back. Another another week and lots of exciting things have been happening in the share market in the last week since we've last chatted.
0: Haven't they just? And in our industry more broadly, as uh, people can imagine, probably seeing the title of this episode and clicking on it, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, I think you and I will both have a bit of fun with this one. Um, this episode has been brought about as a result of a few things uh which you'll get to in just a moment but i guess one of the things that i want to uh talk to is just uh janish who reached out to us on twitter and said hey guys loving the show um could you please go over the pros and cons of short term share trading with less than 1 year of holding thanks and i said yeah sure let's do it and um i guess there are all different types of share trading strategies there are different so we're talking about trading as opposed to investing Uh, We're going to get to the differences of those. But Kate, one of the most popular things that people do when they're a trader is they use something called a CFD. We've done a full episode on this or just about. Can you explain what a CFD is and why this is really important right now? Well, ASICs actually had quite a bit of fun talking about CFDs at the
1: moment because they really don't like them. Um, So contracts for difference, we have mentioned them a few times, I think, on Mm. the podcast. But um yeah, you, it's, you're making a bet essentially on a price movement. Um, there's a few different uh, options to buy them and uh, not all of the main um, brokers let you use those products uh, or um, they make you pass a test or things like that. Um, but I think ASIC's official definition, I'm just looking here, um, they're saying that a CFD is a contract on the difference between the opening and closing price of an asset. So that's from one of ASIC's most recent uh, media releases on that topic because they're actually trying to ban them from being accessible to retail consumers because so many people lose money from using them. They're not they're not a safe bet at all. And I was actually reading that ASIC said in the week um, from the 16th to the 22nd of March, retail clients, so just your everyday investors mm-hmm. not... Not those smart people up in the offices that you think know what they're doing. That maybe they don't. Um, but retail clients' net losses from trading these products, just from a sample of twelve CFD providers, were was two hundred and thirty four million dollars.
0: That's in one week. That's yeah. how much these these Australian traders. These are these are net losses. Lost. Yes, so, that's after gains have been taken into account for the <laughs> for the entire platform of these 12 CFD providers. So they've lost $234 million. Which is insane. That is just unbelievable. I mean, the share market did crash, right? But these, the difference between a CFD and a share, there are quite a few differences. But one of the things is if a share falls, let's say a share falls 10%, right? You own Commonwealth Bank shares, it falls 10%. You still own the shares. You just see a negative 10%, usually in red, in your brokerage account. But with a CFD, it's a little bit different because when I say it's a little bit, it actually is a lot different because (laughs) what you actually get when you buy a CFD is you can use, let's say, $1 to get exposure to $10 worth of shares. So it's like buying a house with a mortgage. You lay down the $1 and the mortgage or the CFD provides the other $9, right? But then if you think about it, if the Commonwealth Bank shares that you had this CFD on fell 10%, You've lost 100% of your money, even though, you know, it's, even though it's only down 10%, the actual share price is down 10%, because you only laid down 10% of the purchase price, you've lost all of your investment. And this is the crazy thing about CFDs. Not only do they cost a lot to trade, mm. they're also extremely risky. There's the same upside and the same downside. So you know, you could, it's pretty much just like flipping a coin. Is it going to go up today? Is it going to go down? Well, who knows, right?
1: Mm, And the fact that you can actually lose more than you started with, I think that's probably the scariest aspect. I mean, at least with a share, even if it goes to zero, you just don't have any money left in that company. But with these products, you can actually lose more than you
0: put in. Yeah. And they give you what's really enticing about these guys. I feel like when you go to the pokies, right? And by the way, if everyone talks, if anyone ever says to you that shares are like gambling, typically those people are the people who use this type of shit. Excuse my French. But basically, what what it's like going to the pokies. When you go to the pokies, you know, you feel like someone's watching you in the camera from like up above and they kind of like they rig it so you win a little bit and then you go back again, you win a little bit more, and you're like, oh, this is really good. So you lay down like hundred dollars and then whoosh, it's gone. I feel like this is the same thing with CFDs. What their CFD providers do is they'll give you access to a demo account and they'll call it something really cool, like Dragon platform 6,000 and then you'll go in there and you have all these fake dollars and you'll somehow come out on top And you're like hey, why don't I just upgrade to the real thing? Put put your information in here transfer some money in and you go and do <laughs> it and you just get absolutely wiped out and I say This like with a smile on my face because it happened to me I lost five grand in one of these things in a week like I was one of those idiots that was using this stuff and then I came Like, I thought, yeah, you know, I'm the king of the share market. And I went in there, I lost $5,000. It's the craziest thing. And I just kind of it just went up in smoke. Mm. Like, please take it from me. Don't ever touch this stuff. Like, it's crazy. And it's not just CFDs. We're picking on CFDs because they're shit house products. Use my French again. But there there's so many other different types of trading techniques and trading strategies, right, Kay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think... There are some people, as we've mentioned before, that can do it successfully, but it actually requires a lot of study, a lot of skill, um, not necessarily a lot of screens, but um, the few people that do it well, they've actually spent a lot of time studying and learning how to do it. It's not something you just wake up overnight and decide to become the next best day trader. Um, It's really, for most people, it's really not a suitable (laughs) way to invest and it's not something that we recommend here. We, We really focus on, um, investing small bits often over a long period of time and having a long time frame when you're investing not less than a year we would never recommend that
0: yeah and i and that's t- totally right I, I, I run an investment service so i'm going to differentiate between investing and trading i run an investment service and i've been running it since 2000 mid, mid 2018 and i think in that time we've made 10 or 11 investments as of the recording of this podcast that's like two years nearly, and we've only made 10 or 11 trades, if you like. Hmm. Contrast that to a trader who might make 20 or 30 in a day. And it's not hard to imagine, or yeah, not hard to imagine how these day traders end up paying brokerage fees to like ComSec or Interactive Brokers or whoever they use. There could be like tens of thousands of dollars a year. You know, hmm. if, we, if we're getting hung up over paying. $11 as opposed to $9 <laughs> for a brokerage account. And they're, they're trading like you wouldn't believe. Mm. And so, you know, not only are they being hyperactive, paying more taxes, paying more in fees, they're also like some, as you say, some people like think that this works and some people do make money from it. if They do it full time and it's like, They've been doing it for years, maybe. I've never met one of these people, by the way, but maybe they do exist. Maybe they are out there. They're probably not listening to this podcast. They're probably day trading. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe... Yeah, one... the market is open. <laughs> yeah, the market's open. So you've got to go quick, sit in front of your screen. You know, Don't even go to the toilet. Just stay in front of your screen. So, like, you know, that does happen. And, um, you know, people can, I believe, probably make money from it. But to be honest, 99.999% of the population should not even think about trading. Mm. And so um, I might just maybe explain the difference between trading and investing. And for me, this is my opinion. Like a lot of people like investing to gambling. They think, oh, shares gambling. That's because most people look at the share market. They a, don't know, understand how it works. So that 58%, I believe in an ASX shareholder study, I think it was 58% or 55% said they own shares, but they don't know how it works. Mm. So, i mean yeah i mean you don't have to understand how your car works to drive one but at the same time you know if you you're investing your money you want to at least have a basic understanding of like you know why it goes up why it goes down and the reason why things go up and go down in the short term is really anyone's guess and so if you're trying to bet on the market in the short term what you're trying to do is you're trying to estimate what people's psychology would be because we know that there's there are companies that are on the stock exchange and you can buy shares in that company. Like you could buy part of Apple, for example. But between now and whenever Apple reports its next round of results, the share price is going to go up and down. And that's really just based on the emotion of investors in the market. And it's based on you know, a bunch of little things like economic data or big investors moving in and out of the stock or traders or whatever it might be. It's completely well, what the president says. What the president tweets, you know, yeah. China, China. You know, and you have no
1: idea. Like you can't expect all of these different factors, so it's very difficult to do over a short period of time.
0: That's it. And so then you've got. So you're trying to estimate psychology, and you're trying to bring behavioural investing into it, right? But this is my gripe with trading, as opposed to investing. Investing is longer term. You try and find a, a company or an ETF that you like, and you understand it. You kind of got your head around the risks. You can reasonably predict what might happen in the future because it's got a long track record. It's not just like a you know, lick your finger, put it to the air type thing. Mm. But the thing about day trading, and I'm going to like bring some academic study into this, not just a bunch of fluff that I'm coming up with. (laughs) The thing about day trading is trade or just trading in general. So trading relies on two things. Typically it relies on the share price and movement in share prices. So if you've ever seen someone who has like a candlestick chart, when they show you on like one of these Blogs, and this is what a lot of crypto traders use, by the way. Mm. They'll use like the share price or the Bitcoin price or whatever price it might be going up and down. And that's one signal that you can use. You know, it's either up or it's down. So that's one signal. Another signal you can use is volume. So, how many shares have been traded in a particular day? And so, you'll often hear traders say something like, the price confirms the volume or the volume confirms the price. And that's kind (laughs) of like their way of saying that oh, look, the price is going up and the volume is going up too. Therefore, you know, buy. And then they'll have things like moving averages and they'll run these kind of mechanical formulas over the top of it. And that's why you end up paying for these really expensive trading platforms because they can do that for you. Mm. But here's the thing, and I'm going to bring in a study and we've got it in the show notes. And um, if you have any type of rebuttal for this, please come at me. You know, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, I've got it up here. Just click into it. So, and I'm just going to read straight from the abstract. And this comes from, it's called, it's a journal. It was written in 2008 or the peer reviewed in 2008. And it's called technical analysis around the world. And the abstract reads over 5,000 popular technical trading rules are not consistently profitable in 49 country indices that comprise the Morgan Stanley capital index. Once data snooping bias is accounted for. So what they're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, if you interpreted this differently, is that, and I'll, actually I'll just read what they say. We do show that over 5,000 trading rules do not add value beyond what may be expected by chance when used in isolation during the time period we consider. So they took 5,000 of the most popular trading rules, ran them in 49 countries and proved that they do not add value. So the trading strategies themselves. And you might be saying, oh, but once data snooping is accounted for. So effectively, what they're saying is if you use price and if you use volume in 49 different countries and you use these most common 5,000 trading rules, guess what? You ain't going to make money. Mm. The only way you make money is if you use intuition, like gut feeling, or if you'd use some other thing that kind of no one's really come up with yet. And I just There's read Some that.
1: insider information, which is uh, yeah. not actually allowed.
0: So I just read that and I'm like, who's doing this oh, yeah. stuff? You know, and the difference- I didn't know there was 5,000. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I know. Imagine, imagine doing, been doing this study and running like five thousand different sequences of five thousand different strategies. <laughs> I'm sure there's some complex algorithm to <laughs> run all those numbers. Yeah, totally. And so I guess the difference here is that that you could you could pull some numbers out and you could say maybe investing isn't that efficient for people either, right? Hmm. But the difference between investing and trading is investing, in my opinion, does not rely entirely on quantitative analysis so not only are you investing for many years at a time not just you know short time windows Mm. or whatever you're also using things that you cannot find in a brokerage account you cannot find it in the financial statements like for example let's say okay if you run a business right and you're really passionate about running that business and you want to see it grow and then let's compare that same business with someone who is a complete numpty and doesn't know how to run the business it's exactly the same company if you were looking at it on the stock exchange you would say oh yes it's the same company Mm. it's um it's in the same industry it has the same set of financial statements but you're running the business versus someone who might be a numpty and doesn't know what they're doing how do you put a price on that and this is the thing about investing where it's different is investing relies on qualitative factors so you look at the company like you don't need you don't need a Brokerage account to tell you that LaVisa was better than Diva,
1: mm.
0: you know, as a, as a retail product. And there's no, it's not surprising, therefore, that LaVisa was one of the ASX's best performing stocks over five years. Maybe not day to day, but over a very long time it was. Mm. And so that's the difference between investing and trading is that, in my opinion, investing relies on a lot more of the stuff you can't see in a, you know, a financial report or the stuff that you can't see um, when you look at, say, the, your brokerage account. And that's my rant done. <laughs> um, I've kind of like I've kind of shut down trading. You know, I've been there, I've lost money. i've studied I've tried to study the best traders I could find in the world. A lot of the times what you find is that the best traders don't actually have verifiable track records. Mm. So you know, whereas investors who run managed funds and what have you, they are regulated. a lot of the traders that you see out there. And particularly in crypto and all that type of stuff, they just have blogs that they've made at like .com or whatever yep. where they don't have to register a real name and, you know, it's all just a bit of fluff. So, you know, I would just... If you, if you do come across a trader that you think is excellent and they have a demonstrable track record that could stand up to an audit, please reach out to me. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't seen one. So, yeah, um,
1: and I guess... And it's something ASIC's really worried about at the moment. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was reading about how how much that... Um, there's been such an increase in retail investors just mucking—I'd say mucking around in the stock market, um, uh, and even they were saying that there's over four thousand new investor accounts um, getting opened every day that are popping up on their radar um, at, at the moment, compared to a previous focus period where it was only just over one thousand per day. So it's pretty wow. crazy, and there was um, there was there's a massive increase in. Um, disused accounts that are suddenly becoming active again. So people that had just once upon a time created a Comsec account, a brokerage account, have suddenly started using it. Um, And the average time between trades has fallen down to about one day instead of sort of 4.5 days. So people are actually just going in and out um, of stocks. And according to ASIC data, people aren't actually doing it very successfully um, the retail investors chasing quick pop profits they said um have actually performed
0: quite badly <laughs> uh, you know, and are losing money you know what 's crazy, Kate, is we talk about this mm-hmm. We talk about investing you know in the share market it 's been the best place you could have put your money even better than property for twenty or thirty years right yeah so we we measure success over that kind of time frame we mm-hmm. measure success over years, yet then you look at the studies like this and says you know, the average holding period for a share is a day or two. Yeah. And you think there's a massive disconnect between expectations and reality. Right? Mm. Like, this is just, you know, and I, I get it. Like it's going to be some quote unquote traders that really skew the numbers here, but you know, this is, it's just unbelievable that yeah, people,
1: people think that this works. And it's the, also we were chatting about the other day the massive increase of people googling how do I buy shares or stocks in Australia and um, how do I start investing and um, is it a good time to invest or should i should I start investing now? It's all those questions going up on the uh, the Google search radar. so that was I, I read that in another sort of news article which was quite interesting about all the different terms that are just zooming up. Mm. um and in terms of what people should buy and when they should buy and how they can buy it
0: you know what's interesting about that is so just for people's context what we're talking about here is you can actually go online and you can see what people are googling like you can not you know it's all anonymous but you can see what searches are most popular and what aren't and what have you we've seen about a seven-fold increase in how to buy stocks or how to buy shares mm. since march so the beginning of march so you see, you know, this is when the markets are crazy busy. People are at home. People are wondering, oh, maybe the stock market thing can work for me. Um, you know, mm. that, that's what we're talking about. And yeah, I mean, it's great for people like us. If, if Kate, if you and I named this podcast, How to Buy Stocks in Australia, we would probably get about 10 times the amount of viewers than we, we probably will. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those things, right? And we, were, we wanted to make the point when we're talking off air And I'll let you do the explanation of this. We wanted to make the point that it's not just young people and it's not just, you know, the stereotypical male sitting behind a computer. There's a lot of different types of people that are getting suckered into some of this advertising, right? Yeah. Yeah, those, um, I guess the one... I don't know if we're naming people, but
1: <laughs> ASIC has, so I'm sure it's probably allowed. Um, there's a there's a company called Mayfair that was advertising products over the last few years and offering them to high net worth investors. So you had to meet certain criteria. Um, so for most of us, we do not meet that criteria, but there's a lot of self-managed super funds that do have quite a significant amount in their mm. super funds. So they meet um, sophisticated investor status. So they were actually advertising a term deposit alternative um, using certain keywords. And I think that was quite interesting using Google AdWords. Um, Mm. And so they were buying up term deposit, bank deposit, term investment, that sort of stuff. So a lot of older investors, um, because interest rates were falling, were looking for something, a term deposit product that was going to give them 5%. So when they Googled term deposit, they were landing on this product. And it was saying it was a term deposit alternative. Um, and term deposit, traditionally, it's an authorized deposit taking institution and your capital's secured by the government up to $250,000 and it's cash. But with these term deposit alternatives, they're investing in all sorts of things like islands and resorts. And uh, I think I saw it one time, though, I can't back up that statement, they were investing in a crypto fund. Mm. So instead of investing, putting your money in cash, where there was some level of security, you were going into this term deposit alternative and putting your money into all sorts of strange products that even as I would think I'm a high risk investor, I would not put my money in.
0: Yeah. This is the thing, right? Like people don't know, by the way, if you click on the first three results in Google, it might be four these days, like you got to know that's a sponsored ad. A lot of older people (laughs) don't. don't no, know no that they is not actually an advertisement if i go into my google adwords with my rask account and i go term deposit i might be able to pay like 20 cents per click or whatever and i go yes i'll take 20 per- 20 cents then that will go up the top when everyone pu- puts in term deposit
1: even and, if it's not
0: yeah even if it's not like it's just it's yeah i could be like you know listen watch this video of me playing the drums yeah. and i just buy the ad word that's term deposit and they might just get it served a video that's me playing the drums like it doesn't really matter and what ASIC's point is is that you can't go and put like advertising out there that says term deposit and then sell people something that they don't understand that seems to be appropriate for them because it says term deposit alternative in the headline and it's got some old men in some gray suits and you know they're looking really smart, and they get this guy mm-hmm. off that, that's always on the TV. You know he's always on Sky Business, and he's like he's saying how good this thing is. You know, wink, wink. Um, you can go and Google that. Um, so like you know, just because that's there doesn't mean that you know it's it's reliable. ASIC has said you can't compare that type of thing to a term deposit. And so the long the moral of this story is there's a lot a lot of people that have been sold into this thing called Mayfair that is really just Turned out to be an absolute disaster for the investors that got in there. And even though they made that quote unquote, sophisticated investor hurdle, you know, where you just have a certain amount of assets, they're not actually sophisticated people. They just got suckered in by this kind of like make 5%. Oh, I don't know what it was, but like make 5%, make 3% returns better than a term deposit kind of thing. Mm. Again, if something's too good to be true in investing, it almost always is just like day trading. Mm-hmm. I'd
1: stay far away from the words "term deposit alternative." If you see that online, um, I'd really look into what is actually in this product because um, it's term deposit is cash. So if it's an alternative, what are they actually putting in the money? Sometimes I see advertising for other companies that say "term deposit alternative" and they're doing mortgage-backed securities. So that's still a completely different product and a different risk profile. So suddenly mm-hmm. you're going from just being very conservative and just having your money in cash to investing in anything and everything maybe an island maybe property who knows
0: yeah and this is the thing we've talked about this before the term deposit guarantee you can go online and you can check to see which banks or which adis are approved for that and Mm. once you do and you check the banks and you check the terms and how it works then you go to that bank and you look at the term deposits you'll realize that the term deposits are offering you bugger all interest. Hmm. And the reason for that is because they are guaranteed by the government, right? If they weren't guaranteed, like some of this other junk that's out there, then of course they're going to offer you more because it's more risk. And the problem is most people don't know how much more risk they're taking when they go into one of these things. Um, Kate, we should actually make note of this because a lot of our members don't even know this. But um, when we say per ADI... Kate uses the phrase authorized deposit taking institution. What that means is that means they've got a banking license. Mm-hmm. Right? But some big banks have banks underneath them and they all fall under the same ADI. So a common example I use is Ubank, which many people will know. Ubank is a subsidiary of NAB, but NAB's the ADI.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: if you have two bank accounts, one at Ubank, one at NAB, you've got to check to see if you're covered for the deposit guarantee for both. And you know maybe if you do some further investigation, you might find that they're not. So only one of them is covered because it's per customer per ADI, not per yeah. bank. And that's a really important point. Kate, um, why don't we also do everyone a favor and if they have come across this episode because they've Googled how to buy stocks, <laughs> how do they do that? Yes, so if you've patiently waited to actually find out how to buy
1: shares, Um, we'll give you a couple of steps, but we have some specific episodes on buying shares and ETFs we've done previously. So highly recommend going back to some of our earlier episodes and going over some of the basics. Mm. But it's actually pretty simple. And I figure most people when they're asking how to buy shares actually want to know what share to buy um, because it's Mm. really the key step is finding a brokerage account. So you can't actually just... um, I can't just go to Owen and say, let's change some shares. Um, I want your share, you give me my share. There's paperwork involved, and you have to do a whole heap of things. So to make it easier, there's a marketplace and brokers facilitate that transfer. So big names, I guess some of the biggest brokers in Australia, Comsec and Nab Trade. Um, there's some newer ones like Self Wealth, but just Google brokerage accounts in Australia and you can have a look at comparison sites that compare all the different factors. And again, we've done that um we've talked about all the different factors in the previous episode but like whether you want research um do you want to buy international shares do you want to just buy australian shares do you want to buy any other complex products which i'd recommend staying away from when you're getting started but finding the right brokerage account for you and they will charge a fee to do that transaction when you buy and when you sell so you want to find out how much that costs as well
0: yeah and there's one of the really good things is Make sure that you read the uh, product disclosure statement, PDS, and the financial services guide, FSG, of the brokerage accounts. And Mm. I I guess this goes for anything, anything finance-related. Never put your credit card details in, never transfer money, never sign up, never accept the terms and conditions unless the financial organization that you're dealing with has an Australian financial services license, AFSL, or ACTS underneath one, Mm. okay? And the way to check that is to go to the ASIC website and go to, or you can Google ASIC, A-S-I-C, Professional Registers. So ASIC Professional Registers, and then you can search for the name of the AFSL holder or the, um, like RASC is an AFSL representative. So you can go to the representative section and you can type in our name and our license will come up there. If the company does not have one of those, Do not put your information in. Do not listen to their trading ideas. Do not listen to their investing ideas. Do not do any of that because you will Mm. not be protected under the law.
1: Yeah, and another big thing I think is before buying anything, make sure you find out what your holder identification number is, your H-I-N. Most brokers in Australia will issue you your own holder identification number. And then when you buy the shares, they're held uh, legally in your name or whatever entity you set up. Uh, There are still a few Um, brokers in Australia that don't issue your own holder identification Mm -hmm. number. So when you buy shares, you're buying it under their group holder identification number. So the shares are held custodially in your name, but you're not actually the legal owner of that individual share. So I want to make sure you get your own HIN and the shares are in your name. And I think that's something people don't normally know. Mm -hmm. And once you've set up the brokerage account, you'll get a, a piece of paper in the mail from the Australian Stock Exchange saying welcome, here is your holder identification number. So I'd make sure you get that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want, so with the H-A-N, the holder identification number, do not be giving that out. Do not be posting that on social media. Do not give that number to anyone. Maybe your account. It's like a tax file number. You've got to keep it
1: quite secure because people, as long as they have your postcode, your number, and maybe your last name, they can actually change quite a few things about your account um, and your holdings yeah
0: and so that that number actually gets you into finding where your shares are registered so you can go to a share registry site like computer share or link market services or any of those big um computer uh, <laughs> big registries mm-hmm. and you can find out what shares you own you can vote on things you can you know, do all these different things that you can do, you'd normally be entitled to as a shareholder. So do not give that number up um, and maybe make sure you keep it safe. Obviously your broker will have to have it so they know who you are and you know, what shares you own, but mm. don't give that number up. No. Okay, <laughs> hey, we've kind of covered a lot. We've covered trading. Um, I reckon I'm going to get some flack for this one. Uh, and <laughs> you love that. A bit of controversy. <laughs> just a little bit. It's just a sprinkling of controversy. <laughs> um, and we've talked about how to how to buy stocks, which is the same as saying how to buy shares. Yeah. We've, ta- we've talked about the wonderful things that are CFDs. Just kidding. They're not wonderful. And then um, we've talked about, well, you talked about Mayfair, which is an example of something gone wrong recently. Mm. Um, we've got all the, you've put all the links, which is, Thank you for doing this. You've got all the links to all of these recent releases from ASIC, who is the, the regulator of our industry, and they've sh- shown really how bad things have gotten recently. Um, we've got some sh- we've got some more show notes to that study that I referenced earlier on. We've got um, a link to the course. You're going to put some links up to the How To Money podcast, which is the podcast you run. Um, yeah, and I've also yep. written an article on how to buy shares that actually goes into some
1: really step-by-step detail on like write this here, click this button. So... Um, that might help cool. as well if you want something a bit more specific than just to open a brokerage account and place an order. Yep. Um, but, but because we have covered this before, um, I definitely recommend going to some of the previous episodes.
0: Yep, yeah, good point. But um, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. So if you haven't bought shares but you're thinking of it, make sure you click on that link in in Kate's uh, mm. to Kate's website and, and take a look at that. Uh, a really good resource. Um, and Kate, I think you wanted to you wanted to give us um, your number one tip.
1: Yeah, I think at the moment, because everyone's searching how to buy shares and they're sitting at home, maybe they've got some extra time on their hand, maybe they're out of work and want to make some quick money. I would say don't be greedy and don't rush things. Investing's a long-term process. Uh, it's a, something you do over a long period of time. Well, that's certainly what we advocate here and trying to make money overnight is a maybe you'll win one time, but it's a surefire way to actually lose money over the long term.
0: Yep, yep. And I think we can say that um, with almost every study backing us up on that. So um, pretty much my my number one rule for investing and all this type of thing in the stock market or even just property, any way you want to cut up investing is typically the more you do, the less you get. Mm. So the less you do, the better your decisions will be, because you can focus on making a good decision once rather than ten bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, the the best ever headline that I've got, and I've referenced this a hundred times in this podcast, <laughs> is ninety nine percent of long term investing uh, is doing nothing. The one percent changes your life. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. So take your time with these things. You know, you've got we're measuring returns over decades, not days. So just yeah. focus on that. Set yourself up. Make sure you have your emergency cash buffer. we got a great message during the week about someone that did that. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you, by the way. But, yeah, focus on the long term. Avoid CFDs. <laughs> and, I guess, Kate, that's and don't the- get
1: sucked into term deposit alternatives.
0: No term deposit alternatives. Kate, yeah. how can people find out more about you?
1: Um, to learn more, visit howtomoney.online and catch me on Instagram and Twitter at
0: howtomoneyaus. Fantastic. And I'm Owen Rask um, on Twitter. And on Instagram, AU, but I don't really use Instagram. So maybe just hit me up on Twitter. Or I feel like down. we
1: go through this every time about how you're a failure on Instagram.
0: I know. I, I I really need to log in. I think I got a few messages the other day and I just don't know how to get into it. Um, um, just some so, rabbit pics. <laughs> yeah, just pictures of my rabbits. But um, if anyone wants to email us, they can email us at podcast at rask.com.au or podcast at rasfinance.com. Either of those email addresses are fine. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for tuning in. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods